0: Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten, and we'll be joined today by two guests who are both well worth listening to. This podcast is brought to you in association with Betfred. Salford Red, Fred Doan, opened his first shop in 1967. I'm delighted to be joined by Jim O'Neill or Baron O'Neill of Gatley, as he's known to his (laughs) friends and family. (laughs) <laughs> Jim is uh, What do your mates call
1: you, Jim? Uh dickhead. Um, Penzo Um, is Paddy O'Neill. Uh, Jim O'Neill, and when they want to wind me up, Lord O'Neill.
0: What does what do you,
1: your family call you, Baron? Uh, nah. My family like they sit around like quite astonished. Well, they don't even. I mean, honestly, really nicely. I mean, my wife and my kids. You know, it rarely is an issue, it rarely comes up in any in any context, to be honest. And when it does, it's usually like, how the hell did that ever happen? So you're uh, a Manchester lad,
0: nice. you're a, a British mm-hmm. economist, best known for yeah. coining BRIC, Brazil, Russia, India, China. Yeah, Which stands stamped for the... on the forehead forever.
1: Yeah, is that good or bad for you? I think, I mean, by and large, yeah, almost definitely good, because it's sort of... Transform my professional life in some ways because it sort of brought me into this a different space of just being somebody that you know thought about financial markets all the while so I got to speak to serious policymakers in all of those countries and others one of the fascinating things that happened in the relatively early years after it it's now 21 years ago nearly and um, that other big emerging countries i remember the mexicans and the indonesians in particular would want to know why 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 not them and uh you know i actually spoke to uh the finance ministers of both countries individually directly about that so and you know it was all of that it was fabulous and uh you know for a while it was quite tricky to manage because i because it just sort of you know and it, it was it was after two years when it really took off It did at first nobody really paid that much attention to it and i would get for many years in you know probably eight invitations a day to co- sort of go and talk about it to something and somewhere in the world and it was quite tricky to manage um given that i was you know working for one of the most intense organizations in the planet uh but yeah 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 um um you know i've done plenty of other things in my life that um I would say I'm equally, if not more, proud about, in particular, which might not have happened by the way, if it wouldn't have been for how that impacted people in the emerging world, in particular, leading this review into antibiotic resistance, which is probably the most interesting thing I've ever done. Uh, and obviously, I remain quite immersed in the so called Northern Powerhouse and blah, 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 blah stuff that goes along with that. Although I quickly add nothing to do with this current government, but there you go.
0: I was hoping you were going to say nothing to do with the airport in Manchester as well. But there you go. <laughs> no, um, it's a mess at the moment, isn't it? You could have changed it to Brimsy's and added uh, Indonesia and, and Mexico in there. You're the former chairman of, of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, a former conservative minister, honorary professor of economics at Manchester University, and you went to the same school mm-hmm. as Tony O'Neill. You're a lifelong I Manchester did. United fan. I
1: did. i two years older than Tony, and I used to get. As a school kid, intimidated by uh, some of his elder uh, inspirations, no doubt that used to sort of quite enjoy beating the, beating me up as being the gatly snob every day um, until I could start playing footy then they thought I was all right um, and when me and Tony ran into each other many many moons later, it we sort of developed a natural bond purely because we both went to crossings. <laughs> We We've had slightly different lives, let's just say.
0: We're speaking on the day where Manchester United's financial results, the latest ones, are being announced. The headline, because times have been so bad, is another dividend being taken by the Glazer family. And I told some United We Stand regulars that I was going to speak to you and invited them to put questions to you. Mm. Um, as we speak, the results are not out. We've got a good indication of, of, of what they're going to be. But so we could just talk in more general terms because sure. you, you would know more about finances than, than people listening, I would imagine. Um, Remo wants to know um, I'd like Jim O'Neill's estimate on what number would make the Glazers sell right
1: now. I mean, my honest answer is I've no idea. But what I increasingly th- have thought as the years tick by, and it's quite a depressing answer, I'm afraid, is that I think they like the regularity of the cash flow. Um, From every bit of analysis or awareness I've had from what is now becoming quite a long period, what is it since the then, you know, it's 17 sad years, is it? Yeah. Um, I don't think this is a naturally wealthy family with a lot of businesses that generate a lot of cash. So for them, one of the real beauties of owning United in the way in the style and way they've managed to organize it is they can pay themselves these dividends so easily and I suspect probably find other ways of extracting cash out quite regularly too. and so that that for a family which probably has other businesses that might have leverage and aren't so great is, is very attractive uh, and you don't want to give that up easily unless there's something else to replace it or unless somebody offers a you know really staggering amount of money um, and in that regard uh, as I think and you and I have chatted about before i not sure there's that many people in the planet that actually have the wealth to be able to come up with the sorts of numbers, particularly post the remarkable deal of Chelsea's uh, change of ownership, uh, might imply for something like a brand of Manchester United. And with it, and I've explored this because of my old world, I know a lot of wealthy people around the world. I think quite a lot of people who have got very sizable wealth don't believe they should... Be that daft to give a load of money to people that don't really have underlying wealth, nor are particularly savvy, with what could be, uh, you know, towards the peak of this staggering twenty-five-year, thirty-cycle of uh, football as a business. You know, this, this this is the kind of numbers that occasionally get banded around in the media about United's you know, supposed real transaction value are, are just out of the out of the you know out of the realms of most normal people unless they have very large leverage so it's sort of all a bit irritating this sort of unstable status quo goes on Um, and of course a lot of the potential sovereign wealth buyers have sort of done for uh, because the ones that are likely to wade into football have sort of got the clubs that they've got so I don't know now against that I would add that the longer the quoted share price stays so depressed as it is um, as a financial market person, uh, and I I find this thought going through my head quite a lot the past few weeks, as much as there may be reasons why that doesn't really represent the real ultimate value of United, the longer it goes on, the more it actually might do. Uh, And You know, I've often said in my professional life, financial markets occasionally get things really badly wrong, but quite often the markets know more than any of us that talk about them or predict them. And it's not entirely impossible that the United share price is so low, simply because the Glazer's ownership of United is essentially, indeed, as so many fans talk about, quite rightly in my view, slowly devaluing United's brand. It's not impossible, most people when you get anywhere near people who who might think about United being sold sort of assume that United would go for a big premium to Chelsea, but maybe that's not really right anymore i don't know it's, fasc- it's fascinating to me that the share price is so weak i mean just 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 for the sake of your audience uh, where it closed last night is is below uh where they launched it what was it, back in 2012, I think, so a decade ago, um, and uh, implies something like one and, a half, one and a quarter to one and a half billion pounds. Um, <clears throat> I can't imagine the Glazers would be very keen to sell it for that, not not least, because that's what some, some people were ambitiously trying to do about uh, ten years ago. But um, to get to the sort of four and a quarter plus many more bits uh, that the Chelsea deal implies I can't see I can't see where that potential buyer would come from
0: so United's value has dropped by 1.3 billion the shares have effectively halved the market has come down mm-hmm. in in general um, with the yes it has the, that's important a lot yeah. of
1: people message me saying oh look in fact, I think I saw some very poorly thought out article talking about United share price. But, you know, the tech sector, as most people will know, has gone through an absolute nightmare over six months and, you know, a lot of stocks have fallen significantly in the tech related world. So, you know, this is argue- <clears throat> what, what's more interesting in my view about it is United share price never really went up much in the first place in what was uh, the best decade ever for US stock markets, and so the, you know, there's some underlying weakness about United stock price performance um, that was there even before the most recent part of this decline, but it is, it, you know, we see it every day or every minute of every day when this market's open, it's very weak.
0: The S&P 500 is 21% down in in the last six months, yeah. so there's definitely been some, some drag there, um, but as you say United uh, share price was not particularly high or going up it didn't look uh, like it was going to be a great investment for anybody um a couple of things i often say this takeover should never have been allowed to have happened this highly leveraged buyout in 2005 i'm not a financial expert it was legal mm. when it did happen if not yeah. ethically in my mind is that a fair comment when i say that
1: yeah completely agree with you uh, I, I i agree with that and uh you, they have highlighted um all the reasons why it shouldn't be allowed um un, under the under the auspices if I'm not sure that's the right word under the sort of rules of engagement of modern global business and the uk's generally less fair approach to these things there's nothing illegal about it whatsoever and and arguably they've executed in a staggeringly ruthless manner um what some of the best private, it's called private equity deals or, or leveraged buyouts would do. The issue is, should people be allowed to do this on something which has such deep social roots? And uh, I, as you know, Andy, I'm a big believer, Is the answer to that is no, it shouldn't.
0: In October 2005, I went down to see the British government with... People like uh, Ian Sterling, Duncan Drasdo, John Paul O'Neill, they welcomed us into Whitehall, they made us a cup of tea, gave us biscuits, they nodded along gently at our arguments and said they'd write a strongly worded letter to the Glazers and they were just completely powerless, completely powerless mm-hmm. to change anything. It had all gone through and I just felt we were hitting a brick wall then. I do think the, the social climate has changed now. Uh, I think football club ownerships become a much bigger issue with the subsequent takeovers. You say about there's not many people out there who could afford a Manchester United. Would it even be better for Manchester United if that was a sovereign wealth fund, if it was (laughs) state-backed? There was no shortage of American suitors for Chelsea. That, That surprised me. The majority owners in the Premier League now are Americans.
1: Yeah. You know, to start my answer to this, let me just say, despite my background in finance... Uh, and I still have quite a lot of interest in it, having uh, you know formally retired from full-time work in it nine years ago. Um, there's something about what's going on still in the football and business world that I, I, I clearly don't get. Because if somebody would have told me in January that Abramovich would have been a forced seller of Chelsea that everybody knew about, it would end up going for £2.5 billion pounds plus a commitment on top for another one. And three quarters, so hence the four and a quarter. I would have said absolutely no chance. You've got to be nuts, and yet that is what happened. And uh, when I try to sort of think that through, there are there are essentially three things that go around my mind. First of all, is a lot of these American uh, owners usually, I think, if not in every case, has something to do with a top American sports team. And they therefore are probably assuming that at some point they will be able to organise European football under some similar uh, structure as they have in the US. Hence the European Super League and all the fiasco that went with it. But I don't think that idea has disappeared from a lot of these guys. Because without that, I don't really get quite what it is that they see so attractive in the likes of the Chelsea. Second thing I would say is... Uh, They also probably think uh, in this sort of strange world of online uh, stuff and metaverse and crypto that perhaps there's a lot of ways of still supposedly, as they call it, monetizing the global fan. Um, But I don't personally believe their thinking is right. But I think there probably is quite a lot of belief about that. And then the third thing, it's ego. You know, what What more for a lot of wealthy people, or, or especially those that try to promote themselves as particularly wealthy and want people to admire them, to have than a football club. We always had it the United's owners, even in a local sense, going way back, right? So in some ways, it's no different than that, thrown in with the other two factors. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And going back to what I said before, that's this is exactly why one of the reasons I said it. You know, I know a lot of truly self-made, successful people around the world. And first of all, hardly any of them would ever dream of trying to buy a football club. And secondly, those that might, uh, when they look at it analytically, they look at the whole picture and think, well, where is the real upside value for any of this anymore? And then specifically... Uh, something like United, that's got this glorious, glorious history and brand, you know, would you really want to take such a big punt on paying a premium for that with all these other uncertainties around? And You know, it ends up boiling down to probably a very, very small number of people uh, who certainly I don't think will be rushing to offer this particular owner uh, a big amount of money.
0: If only was there was a, a Mancunian who grew up as a United fan, who was called Jim, who did have that <laughs> type of money. Before he turned a little bit and tried to buy Chelsea this year, and to a lot of fans he would be the perfect uh, owner. Do you know him? You had any dealings with him? Why can't he buy uh, I, Manchester United?
1: I I have I have met Mr Ratcliffe um, partly because of. Uh, what I touched on before about other things in my life. Um, He uh, is a very generous benefactor of a new antimicrobial resistance research centre at Oxford uh, University. And the guys that uh, encouraged Jim to put money into that uh, tried to persuade me to uh, have some kind of chair-type role of of their entity, which I, I, I went to chat them about, but I decided that, you know as as it's my general policy uh, I I I don't sort of really want to lend my name to anybody else's thing really and not least because I'm pretty busy with stuff on Northern Powerhouse and actually chairing this Northern Gritstone thing which is investing in startups coming out of Northern universities blah 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 blah. but I did meet him and we spent half the night talking about football and united and chelsea <laughs> which is quite a long time ago it's quite a while ago now not a long time probably it was it was joy one of the times brief times of things opening up during COVID. So it's within the last two years, but um, I, I, I think he probably has some many views similar to the ones I've said. Uh, I suspect he would know better than I whether the Glazers would want to sell and probably concluded they don't because they like the cash flow and blah, 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 blah. blah. And that they, they probably think that some rigged European league is is there for the taking if they keep pushing, etc. 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 And I, I also think, and he might have said it as part of his approach to Chelsea, which I don't really agree, uh, that there's some premium to owning a big branded football club in somewhere as globally cosmopolitan as London. You know, I think the very the very facts of United's history, Liverpool's history, and and. Sadly, if it carries on, maybe that other lot, uh up in the northwest, in Manchester. Um, obviously that's not based by a lot of evidence. Um, but I think he thinks that. Um, so. I w- I would add um that. You know, Jim's got heavily involved in a lot of sports the past few years, and intriguingly, not a lot of them have so far done that well since he's owned it. So. <laughs> You know, I'll throw in another sort of crazy off the comment. I, I, there was some. It might have been uh, what I went to some non nondescript game at United a while back. Oh, it was the la, it, it was the la, one of the last uh, home games in the in the Champs League that we qualified already for. Amazingly, uh, who the hell was it? Was that Swiss crowd? I, don't know. I can't remember. Young Anyhow, boys, I was with babe. a load of my core. Yeah, young boys. Yeah, I was with a load of my core mates. And two of them, and these are kids that I go back to from the Crossacres days, they, uh, or kids, they, they said to me when I started on a rant after a few beers about the ownership, they said, oh, for God's sake, shut up. Does it really matter who the hell owns United? And I was quite shocked that they said that to me. Uh, and it made me think, you know, maybe they're right. And one of them said, you know, we've always had crap owners. <laughs> just, just, just concentrate on being a fan and don't get so wound up about it. But I, d- I don't agree with them actually. When I, th- I thought about it afterwards, but they made me think. But you know, I, I I would love to still be. You know, I think you hinted at it before. Certainly post post Oh Eight crisis and as through COVID and as life goes on and all the issues that there are in Britain and around the world today, I think this whole note and I'm a big passionate believer of it in business. It, the whole what I call profit with purpose uh environment is starting to come to the core amongst what I would call really smart minded business people because capitalism ultimately can only really survive if it if it's if it gives rewards to more people than it seemingly has done the past 20 years uh, and I, I at some point that's going to be the case for football clubs too and I think a lot of these American guys are all are all to be quite honest with you Johnny come lately and they're making, they're wasting a lot of money buying football clubs in England at these kind of prices. I can't. You tell me, Andy. I, I can't see where this any further massive premium uh, from TV rights or sponsorship rights are really going to come from. But I, you know, I, I quickly add, wouldn't be the first time in my life that I'm missing something big. But I can't see it myself.
0: I get the sentiment, but. I've also been carrying articles in United We Stand for 30 years talking about how (laughs) the bubble is about to burst. And and it just doesn't. But in terms of emotional attachment and (coughs) giving something back, Jim Ratcliffe is 69. I mean, he might live till he's 169, but he's not a kid anymore. I went to see Nice last year. They're one of the clubs he's got. They did well, actually. They only missed out on the Champions League this year on on goal difference. And I read Mm -hmm. their mission statement and it surprised me. It was all about... Connecting with the working class people of Nice, which is not a city you associate with the working class because it, it's so wealthy, <laughs> and I think that they yeah. will become a power. But surely he's got more of an affinity to the city he's grown up with than the Nice. I mean, the weather's slightly different, but but, but still. <laughs> um, other
1: questions. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah,
0: and only only he knows that. Maybe we need to try and uh, try and, and speak to him. Um, Olson Eleven says: Has the commercial pull of United s- slowed down? The shirt sponsors didn't seem to be falling over themselves to have the name on the shirt. The sleeve sponsor doesn't seem to be the boon the club had hoped for, and the family of wider sponsors don't need don't seem to be at the level they were ten years ago. Rich and Arnold may have a very different view to that, but I'd be interested in mm-hmm.
1: in your view. I mean, I think I think the, the nature of how the questions put kind of answers itself. I mean it. The overwhelming evidence is yes, if you look really closely at the past, actually it's getting on for five years now, uh, the, only, the only big rise in any of United's revenues <clears throat> have, have been the same ones that every other club has benefited from, IEV, i.e. TV money. Um, the ones that the, the, the owners and the senior staff of United directly control uh, have not grown at anything like the pace that they did before, and in some cases not at all. But again this is partly influenced in what I said a few minutes ago um, what what is so unique uh, commercially about United going forward in terms of extracting more value if you're gonna pay I don't know let's say for a figure four billion pounds to buy them uh, you you would you'd, you'd want to have a pretty pretty close think of, like the three main different revenue streams. and and try to understand how you can make those grow a lot more and when I do that in my own head the only one I think about is some ultimate self-control of United's own TV rights Um, because United's brand is so I mean you travel all over the world often you probably still know it better than me but Since COVID, I've not travelled globally much, but I did go on a strange but beautiful trip to Uzbekistan. It reminded me, I was shocked, shocked as to how many people I came across that could speak English that immediately start going on about United.
0: Amazing. Okay, so we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online but here's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. So if like us, you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix, this could change your world. We use ExpressVPN all the time. It's good, it's one click and you're straight in there. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want the sites to think you're located you can choose from almost 100 countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. If you like Korean dramas, use Netflix to parasite off South Korean Netflix. But it's not just Netflix, Express VPN works with any streaming services, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason we use Express VPNs to watch shows is because it's very fast. There's never any buffering or lag and you can stream in HD, no problem. ExpressVPN also works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen. If you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use our link right now, expressvpn.com forward slash united, and you get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's Express VPN com forward slash United, ExpressVPN.com forward slash United to learn more.
1: So if if they could negotiate, you know, unique, true marketing rights for United's global TV access, that I think would be interesting. But if you look at what happens with TV, and of course for that reason alone, uh, all the other uh, competing clubs would would not allow it. Um, almost definitely and so away from that are they going to start putting um, um, ticket prices up by 20% every year for the next decade like they did early on and doubt it uh, which leaves um, sponsorship uh, and as the questioner observed uh, they don't seem to be quite the demand that there once was. You know how many people want to see a, a sort of Un, unambitious, not un, un, sorry, a sort of slightly uh, uncertain bunch of guys on a football pitch not seemingly knowing what each of the other is doing and don't seem that bothered about what the outcome is anyhow uh, compared to, you know, back in other forms of sports or other teams that currently have got their act together and, and show collective purpose and passion, which sadly uh, we don't.
0: Fraudulent, next question. He's a proud member of the RMT, and he's had a busy week this week. He says, as the team (laughs) becomes more mediocre by the season and United fall further behind other clubs in terms of revenue and on-field success, how long do you think the current business model of debt and dividends is sustainable for? And and are these dividends reasonable? Because Joel Glazer, when he spoke to the fans for the first time, he said... (laughs) We're not being unreasonable with these dividends. I wonder what your take was on
1: that. Listen, if I would have been in this now <coughs> uh, infamous pub where this this crowd managed to get um, Richard Arnold to come and talk to them, I would have said, "You're making it clear here that United leads a lot more investment. How on earth can you?" Uh, not be demanding of the guys that pay your money and supposedly give you authority as CEO to keep taking dividends. In the world of normal business, uh, companies that aren't uh, growing or giving uh, a performance resort to dividend payments when there's absolutely nothing else they can do with the cash. And you do get uh, equity investors that own dividend-friendly stocks. But I cannot imagine that the two institutional investors that primarily own the non-voting shares of Manchester United uh, have an interest for that reason. In fact, when I really think about it, having said it, I do not understand why those two investors own it at all, because as we discussed, they haven't actually had any return at all. Um, And so it's, you know, at some point, and that's partly again why this side, you know, me thinking, staring at the share price every other day, maybe it's actually telling us more than is generally presumed. Maybe the market's figured that out. Maybe the real reason why United's share price is so poor relative to so many other things uh, is because the market's figured out the Glazer model actually doesn't work. The only thing that hasn't been figured out yet is the Glazers themselves haven't realised that. Not least because they can still take out the cash flow in through dividends and other reasons but and here's here's a a marginally interesting development if you look at the fallout from the uh fiasco of the uh, the Euro, European super League <clears throat> and what the Tracy Crouch review then proposed, and fascinatingly what the Chelsea owners have said something I think they made some statement about some anti-glazer clause. If those sorts of things now become the norm, and I really pray these Chelsea guys are serious, then uh, that may, might start to make a difference. Because if the Glazers couldn't extract the cash in the easy way they do, then I would begin to think, why the hell do these guys still own United and not actually look actively for somebody else to take it away from? So this and leads me into. I the- wouldn't dismiss. I wouldn't dismiss that being a possibility.
0: Leads me into the next question from Fletcher Defender. He says, hypothetically, if supporters were offered an opportunity to purchase shares for up to a 30% stake in the club with similar voting rights, what would your advice be, as opposed to being offered 1% of the shares, for example? He says, this could resolve the Glazer investment issue, but would it be a wise long-term strategy to to remove them?
1: So when any of those uh, united groups particularly must uh talk to me about this kind of issue. this is exactly what I say they should push for. having some token fan share thing with no voting rights is is not it's just not work It's just giving the owners an excuse to publicly claim you know the do they're listening to fans if if united fans collectively could get more than twenty five percent of the voting rights that would be heaven uh, and that would force uh, the Glazers to change the way they run Manchester United and because of that probably make them decide that they want out and it, <clears throat> I think I, I encourage you given how, how, on, how on it you you always are and it's a, to kind of pers- fi- figure out what how serious these Chelsea guys are and indeed and our, our, our <clears throat> great uh class of 92 hero gary Neville's an inspiration on all of this um pushing for some of the issues raised in the crouch review to become law i think are important and it seems to me quite clear a lot of these american owners are just assuming that that review has got no teeth and nothing will ever really happen but it is very interesting that the chelsea own, new chelsea owners have said that
0: I was speaking to Gary a lot, along with uh, two or three other journalists, when, when that was happening, just formulating ideas and opinions. And mm-hmm. I, I'm in favour of uh, anything that can help fans, especially match-going fans. They're the, they're the core people who um, buy mm-hmm. y- United. We stand, and there has been progress, I've got to say, and including from Manchester United in terms of ticket prices, have not gone up. Uh, Thirty-pound away day tickets. The club have been very good. Uh, with allocations. I thought the club were excellent during lockdown in re-engaging with the local community. Sometimes the horse needs to be led to, to water, but they still did it. They didn't apply for furlough. But maybe this is small beer compared to the, the cloud that the club is operating under uh, while the Glazers mm-hmm. are still owners of Manchester United. We've had loads of different questions in and some of them we've covered different areas. Um, so Knocker West, cheers for yours. e b h 8 Red. Um, uh, Law, Best Charlton. Um, and the sentiments coming through here is uh, Glazer's become United's first summer business after the worst ever Premier League season. Um, <laughs> if United are not paying up to sign Dijon, is uh, inevitable anyway. Um, see, th- there's a real pessimism among United fans. Randall flag the cupboard is bare, even of dead cats. Um, and United <laughs> fans are quite sceptical, yes. cynical. Mm. I mean... They always are, to be honest. It's, it's,
1: it's not. It's not surprising, though. Really, is it? After what what the past twelve months have been like? I mean, it has. You know, again, I go back a long way, and you know, you know, we have no right to be successful. I mean, and one of my, I often think one of my f- most favourite years has been a United fan as a, uh, as a youngster, uh, was the, the the one year we were in Division. What was Division Two? Uh I absolutely loved being a United fan that year, and I didn't mind it that much the year before, which took us down because at least there was something you could see with the dark and the way the club was backing him at the time before his silly antics that there was a purpose um and there was this still you know core thing what what has been so depressing to me about the last twelve months it, it's not clear that there's a purpose other than this brand promotion uh, to allow the owners to extract the the, the cash as they do. Uh, That's what's really depressing to me. And, you know, to some extent, I'm going to pick on Pogba as an example. I I apologise to him because it might be unfair. I never met the guy. But I often think, you know, if his savvy advisors, I don't know whether they're savvy or not, but if his advisors... Sort of see the way the Glazers own United and think, well, why does not a guy with a brand as big as his just play the same game as them? And I, I, and what's really depressing to me is you can sort of see some of that. Well, at least I, I I start to feel that more and more. And so there's a lot of people like, oh yeah, this is an incredible brand, and I can sort of shave my hair in a certain way and blah 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 blah. And it's what for for what purpose other than their own. Benefit rather than the collective benefit of Manchester United, and it is very depressing.
0: We're nearly there because I know you're a busy man and we only asked you to come on for a few minutes. Um, Philip B, hmm. would an objection to paying dividends be principled or pragmatic? We've looked at that. David Moist, why don't the Glazers use the market to raise funds more often? If they offered some degree of voting rights, they could raise some fairly good cash, I'd imagine, help get the supporters on side.
1: Well, the answer's pretty straightforward. They don't want to give away voting rights. Yeah. Because if they did, if they did, then they couldn't get the money out the way they need to, which justifies their ownership. Which is why I say, the really interesting thing in coming weeks and months is whether these Chelsea guys are serious, and as a result of it, they start to think, hang on a minute, we might not be able to pay ourselves so regularly in the way we think. Because then, my guess is, particularly the three... Siblings that couldn't really, yeah, you know, probably don't even know where Manchester is. They're like, let's just get out. Mm. That'll be my and, hope.
0: And they've made a huge amount. Breward says, Hi, Jim. If you owned a business worth several billion that was generating piles of cash each year, why would you not take a dividend out each year? Uh, as much as I dislike them, I can't see any reason why, mm. as the owner, you wouldn't milk the cash co as you're allowed to do. JMO, at what point does the debt become? The club of holding become a real problem if it hasn't already, or is that debt manageable, mm-hmm. as the club seems to imply?
1: Well, I'll answer those two together. Just to reiterate, uh, if I was running a business that had a several billion dollars revenue, and presumably therefore publicly quoted, my my investor base would have voting rights, and you could only uh, pursue a dividend policy if it was supported by those in, those investors. Um, the decision about dividends is made by uh, the only people who have voting rights at United, which is the Glazers. It's very, very, very different. Secondly, interesting on the debt thing, you know, they have been, in some ways, really fortunate by two mammoth forces. One is the whole staggering globalization trend uh, coinciding with the launch of the Premiership, but secondly. Uh, this era of what's called in finance quantitative easing where central banks around the world have just driven interest rates to idiotically low levels and that started to change the past 12 months one of the reasons why stock markets are now suddenly weak and if that were to continue or accelerates um that the debt servicing we actually saw it with the British government's latest monthly fiscal numbers yesterday and that will at some point become a real burden if 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 when it comes to trying to refinance their debt, uh, they suddenly have to pay much higher interest rates at some point in the future. But, you know, that's how it is. Um,
0: final question. Do you see the revenue yeah. generated from TV rights holders being surpassed by another market, i.e. streaming services? Amazon are dipping their toe in the, the water with bottom end of packages. And if streaming was ever to surpass and replace TV... If you could make a guess on what that would change the landscape of football for better mm-hmm. or worse, what 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 do you think? Are you holding out for something like that? I suppose you touched on it when you talked yeah, about but the club taking. I'll give control. a I'll give a bit
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this this is one of the three things I mentioned about what these American owners obviously believe is gonna come. Um and I've talked to quite a few people in the business world, including some of those in uh these companies. And I, I, I get this is and I said it I, I think that a lot of these American guys might be making uh, a very very overconfident bet because it's not clear to me these big streaming services uh, Amazon Prime uh, and others are going to do it um, but that's probably the bet these guys are making and, and, I, and it goes with the European Super League type idea I, I wouldn't be surprised if the hidden plan that is that they keep pushing for that, persuade or or prompted by Apple TV, Amazon Prime, or whoever any of these guys are, to basically underwrite that new league and divvy all the money up to the guys that are in it. Um, But I'm not sure these big streaming services, um, certainly anybody other than Amazon Prime has the wherewithal to do that. Uh, And it's not clear to me that Amazon Prime would want to step into that position. But I think that is the bet some of these guys are making.
0: Lights, thank you for joining us. I apologise for it being so downbeat, but I think we've got to be realistic with the situation and see how it is at Manchester United at the moment. Any reason for optimism?
1: Well, two things. First of all, surely... It, the next 12 months can't be quite as bad as the last 12. <laughs> and I don't mean just in terms of performance. It, you know, I wouldn't, I, for a while, perfectly happily uh, take, in fact, I, I kind of regret that we're in any kind of Europa thing. I would perfectly have happily have us been 10th last year, to be honest. So we get rid of all this nonsense of having to have about 45 people in a squad and concentrate on uh, just one thing for a year and get ourselves sorted out to have a proper collective purpose as a club uh, and a team. Um, um, so, but, so I don't think it can be that bad. But the second thing, opening my views and being prompted by these interesting questions, is I do think I do think how the owners of Chelsea pursue this anti-Glazer clause thing is something that United fans should be pushing them on. Uh, because this could be a window for forcing the Glazers to either think about getting out or remain as owners and behave completely differently than they've been.
0: Offer more shares to Manchester United fans, but still... Exactly. Still, still with voting country. with voting rights.
1: But still stay in power. But still stay in power. Listen, if if, you, if fans had more than 25%, uh, that would stop the Glazers doing a lot of the really annoying things that they've done.
0: Well, that that would be a good figure, the twenty five percent. That'd be enough.
1: That'd be good enough for me.
0: Could they? Would they accept that? Could I might even buy some of them. Could they see any reason in that? Surely. No. Having no. No, not at all. Well,
1: why? Because then they give up. They give up the purpose why they own it.
0: But they'd have the fans on side.
1: Uh, but that would almost definitely mean they couldn't be extracting cash all the time. Mm.
0: Just wonder what the motives are. If this if they cashed in now they make a huge profit. Would they?
1: Consid- Would they?
0: Considering how much they put in or
1: You know, if I was if I was one of the if I was lucky enough to be as personally wealthy as uh, the current share price You know why doesn't why doesn't anybody offer them that? Is is the market price. I'll give you a ten percent premium. Why not? Why don't somebody try that? See what happens. Mm. I'm sure they would be turned down at first, but it's a perfectly rational thing to do. Most takeovers are based on some premium to the public quotation of the share. So why not? Test the waters. Jim Ratcliffe,
0: I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the United (laughs) Weasel
1: podcast. I'll I'll tell his gang that I've done it and get him to listen to it. And then we can
0: meet in uh, in Nice on the French Riviera, <laughs> or in Nice, fails. I've come to we'll take you back to your oh. roots. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for your time.
1: All right, mate. As the sun comes out and
0: small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs can make it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs. To tap into the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring so that your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritise who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why LinkedIn... Jobs is rated number one by small businesses in delivering quality hires against the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. And you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com forward slash united. Again, that's linkedin.com forward slash united to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our second guest today is Ian Sterling. I'm pleased that Ian is is joining us on this uh, momentous weekend as we all celebrate the Glazers taking more dividends out of Manchester United. Um, Ian helps United fans a lot in his role as the independent sports liaison officer. On a more political level, Ian's been heavily involved in must, is a familiar figure at Manchester United matches and is also a fans forum member. Welcome to the United We Stand podcast, Ian.
2: Hi, Andy. Thanks for
0: having me on. How are you feeling about Manchester United politically at the moment? I sense uh, a lot of despondency among fans, not just uh, the transfer junkies, but with the way, I mean, the the season finished terribly uh, with intransigence on behalf of the Glazers, promises they made over a year ago, limited Mm. uh, progress so far on, on the face of it. You're closer to it than most. What's your reading of the situation with the club at the moment?
2: It's a difficult time. Everything's in flux, from the top down, and uh, supporters, I would say, feel exactly the same. Uh, Is one of the worst seasons that I can remember for a long time. Basically, you know, a lot of people just switched off from Christmas. We gave up on the season, uh, but in the bigger picture. Um, the fallout from the ESL proposals has continued um despite our best efforts despite the efforts of supporters and making their voice voices heard and feelings known no real progress has been made yet I mean, the fans forum has been expanded and been more representative and reflective of our support that the fan advisory board is now in place and, and progress has been made in certain areas but those key issues that matter to supporters, so, no progress has been made yet, and patience could only last so long. And I think we, you know, that that's what we're seeing from fans now, voicing their concerns, continuing to voice their concerns. And I, you know, we feel exactly the same.
0: you sense willing on the part of Joel Glazer.
2: Um, look, that it there's been engagement he's turned up virtually to fans forum meetings he's been in uh turned up virtually to uh, fab meetings uh that's progress of a sort uh where previously there was zero engagement i think there were you know two messages in 16 years up to uh last june
1: uh
2: and one of those was in the form of an apology um so there's a lot of ground to make up from him. Uh, I can't say he has, you know, as won supporters' trusts in any form. And he's, he's definitely not won the trust of, uh, I would say, uh, Manchester United Supporters' Trust. Uh, and he's a lot of work to do, a lot of work, uh, even, you know, coming to the point, you know, just purely on the financials, taking out the dividends uh, this week. Is, is it really another kick in the teeth for supporters? You know, they uh, until it comes to the point, and i tweeted this out, uh, that they put in more money than they've taken out, they're not really going to win the trust of supporters. So they've a long way to go
0: yet. Must have not escaped the criticism and the despondency. Um, is some of the criticism valid? Some of it I think is totally inaccurate. I'm seeing people saying... Um, people like Richard Arnold are meeting fans for the first time in 10, 15 years. And my first thought is, that's factually incorrect. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah, look, um, football fans by their very nature are critical. And I totally accept that. You know, and those, your opinions can change within a minute in a game. That's fine. And that's why we love football and we're not going to escape any of that. People will have a view on us as Manchester United Supporters Trust. I accept that. Uh, All I would ask is that is fair and actually reflects what we do. If your opinion is based on the Glazers are still there and we haven't got them out. I think that's unfair. There's only a certain amount of power that we have. Uh, We try to flex our muscle as uh, much as possible in terms of uh, governance and finance and, you know, policy, uh, political parties, manifestos. We try to do all that and we've made a lot of progress with that. But if, if the judgment is the Glazers are still there and you've not got them out, then I think that criticism is unfair. We are a members-led organisation. We reflect the views of our members and we try to do that as best as we can. We survey our survey our members uh, each year. We ask for their views. The service I run as an independent support or liaison officer is always open for people to feedback to me either their issues with the club that they need assistance with or what they think about policies that are changing at United that are affecting them. So it's easy to criticise. All I would say, we would accept that, but make that criticism fair. And if it's fair, we will always do something to try and change it.
0: When I see some of the criticism of you, it's almost always anonymous. Is that frustrating that people aren't putting their the names, or they're not meeting you in real life. I mean, you're not difficult to find. You're very visible. You've got an office on Sir Matt Busby That's, Way. Yeah, Most yeah. of the people involved uh, are well-known faces at the match.
2: Yeah, look, we're there every single match. Uh, uh, plenty of people come in. We always invite people down to the house. We will continue to do that because we find if you talk to people face-to-face, people are far more reasonable they, you know, the, the modern world is, you know, with social media, Twitter, whatever, uh, people have to have an opinion and you have to be polarized. And you've only got so many characters to get your, get your thoughts across and it tends to be negative. Why aren't you doing this? You should be doing this. You're full of sh one t You're a bunch of C U N T. you know, it, it, that that's the modern world. You're totally right. We're there on a match day. We're match going fans season ticket holders, we go home and away, we go to Europe. We're all passionate about the club and we we understand that, those passionate feelings from supporters. We would always say, come down to us, you know, get involved. (laughs) After all, if you feel that passionately about stuff, get involved. We've we've got, you know, we've always got places of volunteers. We will always make space on our committee for people. If you've got a particular skill that you can bring to the organisation, get involved. That's always been our position. Always we've never turned anyone away, and we, we, we oh, are always willing to engage with fans.
0: How did you feel when the Glazers took their latest dividend?
2: Just disappointment, really. This, this, um, they've taken so much out of the club in the finances. Uh, they and uh, our view will never change until that balance is redress where they put in more money than they take out. They've got an opportunity to do that with the you know, ground redevelopment. Um, and it's it's almost a kick in the teeth, really, with that, all the discussions that we've had. They know what our feelings is. We've made our feelings known in any negotiation at any level, any talks with the club, from fans forum to the Fab, to individual meetings we have from uh, supporters trust with them. We make our feelings known that they shouldn't be taking the dividend. This is absolutely wrong. No other football club type director takes any kind of dividends. And it, it just erodes any kind of progress. And especially at this time of year, you know, when we're looking at building strengthening a team where finances are needed, taking the dividend is just a kick in the teeth, I suppose.
0: Some of those supporters were invited to put questions uh, to you via the United We Stand Forum, Mm UWSonline.com. One of them was, what are Ian's early impressions of the fans' advisory board?
2: Uh, I still think it's early days. Uh, We welcome the additional level of engagement and the opportunity that gives us to go more in-depth in terms of the finances, uh, the strategies, plans uh which some are commercially sensitive and can't be shared either with uh at meetings with us as a sports trust or even on on the fans forum so it's a higher level of engagement where there's far more disclosure and we welcome that and we have made some pro you know the the the, um, the abolishment of the uh, automatic cup scheme was uh, a big win for us we was able to uh, raise that up there directly uh, and get some progress with that and we think that's a really good thing but it's early days with the fan. Uh, there's still far more uh, that needs to be done. Um, discussions are continuing uh, all the time. It's not just the four meetings per year. There's continual discussions on all the topics. But it takes time to deliver. It does take time to deliver. We understand that. And you know we've got plenty more that we want to achieve. Um, and we hope that uh, we're able to do that Richard Arnold is uh, willing. He listens, uh, and he does take action wherever he can. But he's got a big job on his hands. We we know we all we all understand that. But it's early days for the Fab, and I hope that we can continue, continue to make the progress that we have done so far.
0: Can you give me one example of action which Richard Arnold has taken after something you've alerted him to?
2: Well, you know the whole th- we've been pushing for a long long time um with that with through our meetings and through the fans forum in terms of uh more flexibility for season ticket holders um the acs was a thorn in every you know the majority of season ticket holders' sides all the time a big bone of contention with them being forced to pay for games that they uh couldn't always attend um pushed hard with that, and the fab was an opportunity to push that even further. Uh, And it it was delivered and it was delivered quickly. Um, The progress that we made with safe standing, uh, the progress that was made with even the prices of of, of refreshments, uh, the more open engagement, uh, higher detail of uh, digging deeper into the issues and, and, and more transparency, I think these are all of the things that uh, Richard Arnold has been uh, directly responsible for, where we wasn't getting this kind of um, engagement with previous CEOs. So I would give him credit for that.
0: I bet you wouldn't have minded listening into the conversation between Richard Arnold and David Gill. In a Hale restaurant the other day.
2: You can probably imagine what was being said there, can't you? I mean, it's. Uh, um, look, my personal view is um, Richard Arnold is he, he understands how big the job is. He understands what's needs what needs to be done. As I said earlier, I think everything's in flux at the minute. It's so difficult. Nothing's nothing settled down. We got you know unsettled team unsettled players a new manager uh, massive restructuring behind the scenes whether it be coaching or even admin staff communications uh, all on top of the, the debacle that was the european super league proposals so it's, it's a tough time at the minute and uh, when your, your two main rivals are uh, so successful it makes it even more difficult Supports to bear, but I I believe he 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 understands the magnitude of the job. He wants uh, what is going to be best uh, in terms of on the pitch. There's a big change there, where one of our uh, complaints and one of the complaints of all fans really is that there are uh, concentration has been on the commercial side of the business rather than the football side. Some of the comments that were made by Edward Ed Wood previously were just, you know. Galling, it was. It was awful. You could see that the the priorities weren't right. We think that has been addressed now, where the restructuring behind the scenes in terms of the football side uh, is taking place. We would hope that delivers results in the future, but nothing's guaranteed.
0: Another question: Does Must have a strategy beyond the share ownership issue that's currently ongoing, e.g. Let's say by way of example, the share scheme ends up being dead in the water. Does must have a longer-term vision for what they want to get out of Manchester United?
2: Our kind of mission statement has always been to have owners who have the same priorities as fans. And that kind of sums us up. What we want is what is best for Manchester United football club. That's what it's about. We can't say at the moment we have faith in the uh, negotiations that are taking place for the share scheme. It's been far more protracted and complicated than we thought it would be. Some of those complications because of the listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, but those neg- negotiations have, have taken place in good faith on both sides. And we're confident that it will be delivered. Now, if it didn't take place, and obviously we would have to reconsider our position. But at this stage, our strategy is to deliver the change in the ownership structure that we believe will benefit supporters, not just now, but in the long term.
0: You mentioned a couple of times about the club being in a state of flux. And as I understand it, um, one of the people who helped negotiate um, with you on the share issue was um, finance guy, H- Hessen, Hemmen. Hemmen, yeah. And uh, he was very good and, and now he's left the club. Does that complicate things even more when one of the main people you're negotiating with leaves?
2: It's, uh, <laughs> it's always going to be difficult, but I think, um, Andy, I, I can't comment too much on that. I'm getting into areas of the non-disclosure agreement. Okay. So I could comment generally mm. in terms of someone leaving, but uh, as he's so involved in, in terms of investor relations, I'd, I think I'm limited to what I can say.
0: Okay. Finally, h- how are you feeling um, at the moment about the outlook with uh, fan relations with the club? I see a very fractured fan base, I see a lot of intolerance mm. around there, a lot of tension there, and you've touched on some of the reasons why, and it's, it's piss easy to be angry and anonymous, mm. you're not you're there, you're visible, you're meeting people in real life, mm. a lot of time's going into there, a lot of free hours are going into there as well, a lot of volunteer hours are going yeah. into there, which fans yeah. don't always um, appreciate and I think the club are far more communicative with fans than than un, under David Gill But Mm. under David Gill, Manchester United won trophies and that's something that's no longer happening.
2: Mm. Um, I think if you take away... (laughs) a Big one here. Take away the issue with the ownership and the debt and the dividends. Actually, relationships between the club and supporters, we've made massive progress with. Really, really big progress with. Uh, We're in a far better place. Like I said, there's far better communication. Not perfect. There's far better communication. Uh, accessibility, uh, uh, the progress that has been made—that uh, is uh, directly affects match-going funds. I think you know has been great. Yeah, just the, the simple thing with uh, how responsive they were with the price of of uh, refreshments inside the ground directly came through our the, the work through the through the fans forum. Before it'd be tough shit if you don't like it go somewhere else now there's a response to it uh, The season ticket prices you know we've been kept low the introduction of the youth season tickets in more areas of the ground the introduction of uh kids season tickets inside the ground these were long-standing campaigns where we've been able to make progress on which previously there was no chance of making any progress on so take take away those you know those core issues of that dividend and, and, and the ownership the relationship between the club and its supporters, I think we've actually made a lot of progress with.
0: Okay, Ian, I'd like to thank you for your time. Thanks for joining us. And maybe we could speak to you at the end of next season, just see how things are shaping up, because I'm sure a lot's going to happen between now and then.
2: Hopefully. You're not going to ask me the pedalogue question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I don't understand this. Um, One of the uh, readers um, said the following question. Um, Have you considered other alternatives, um, methods of transport, apart from a pedalo? What on earth does that mean?
2: I think I know where this has come from. uh...
0: It's from Joel in uh, Florida.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, no. I was on a stag do in, in, in Poland and I got stuck. Someone said there's a pub over there and the only way to get there was on a pedalo. And I'm sure the person who put this question in, I shared a pedalo with. Now, unfortunately, I've got long legs <clears throat> and his legs are quite a bit shorter than mine. And we were going around in circles for a while. So <laughs> I think that's what that's about.
0: Did you get to the pub?
2: Uh, we got towed by a speedboat <laughs> eventually. And uh, we did go there after a few wrong turns. But yeah, there you go. That's, that, uh, yeah, there we are. Better humour with it.
0: Thank you for your time.
2: Thanks for having me on, Andy. Appreciate it.